This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reform Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reform views based on the Word of God and the Reform Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. Our scripture reading this morning is in Romans, the book of Romans, and in a few different parts of Romans, Romans 4, 6, and 8. Romans 4, 6, and 8. As we approach the consideration of Lord's Day 17 regarding the benefits of the resurrection, we read from the book of Romans, chapter 4, first of all, then 6 and 8. And these three parts of Romans are parallel to the three benefits which the Catechism explains in Lord's Day 17, the benefits of the resurrection. But first, Romans 4, verses 20 through 25. Romans 4, 20 through 25. Speaking of Abraham the father of all believers, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on Him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Now we turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, which describes the second benefit of our resurrection. We read there verses 1 through 13, Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over Him. For in that He died, He died unto sin once. But in that He liveth, He liveth unto God Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body 
that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And now we turn to Romans 8, where we read verses 9 through 11. Romans 8, 9 through 11. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. We read that far in God's holy and inspired Word. Now we read the brief Lord's Day, Lord's Day 17 in the Heidelberg Catechism. Page 10, Lord's Day 17. What doth the resurrection of Christ profit us? First, by His resurrection He has overcome death that He might make us partakers of that righteousness which He had purchased for us by His death. Secondly, we are also by His power raised up to a new life. And lastly, the resurrection of Christ is a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrection of our Savior is absolutely necessary. It must be impressed upon old and young children this morning how absolutely necessary it was for Christ not only to die, but also to rise from the dead. And children, to help you understand this, for a few moments I ask you this morning to think with me, imagine with me, that you are one of those disciples of Jesus Christ who knew that Jesus had been captured, that He had suffered the cross, and that He had died. And imagine if He did not rise from the dead. What would, it have, what would it have been like for you as a disciple of Christ? You had served Christ through, your, through His whole ministry. You had believed all His words about how He was the Messiah, how He was the Savior. And to a degree, even you had understood as He taught that He had come to save sinners and bring them unto glory. But then... On that Good Friday, He died. He, he died not only as, as though He were a sinner, but He died as though he, were, he was the worst of criminals. Hanged on the cross along with wicked men. And on that cross, He was cursed not only of men, but of God. He died. And those disciples, when they knew of Jesus' death, they knew of his capture and how he had even given himself up 
They were in this dark gloom and depression and despair, not understanding. Their Savior was dead. And if Jesus had not risen on the third day as He had predicted, those disciples would have remained in that gloom, in that depression, and, and really, we too would be of all men most miserable, as Paul put it. You see, you understand how terrible it would have been if the Lord had remained dead. Then all that Jesus had predicted and said regarding His death and resurrection would have been a lie. And for that matter, everything in His ministry that He had taught would have been a lie. He was no Messiah. He was no Savior. If He had not risen but remained dead, it would have proved that He Himself was a sinner. Because sinners die. The wages of sin is death. And if He had not risen but remained dead, not only would it, would it have proven He was a, a liar and, and a sinner, but He was not Lord. To be Lord and Savior, He had to rise. How can He give us His Holy Spirit? How can He give unto us eternal life in heaven if He remained dead? There would be no reason for the Christian religion at all. You would not be here sitting in the pew. If Jesus had died but not risen, gone would be the Christian faith. It is absolutely necessary that Jesus rose. And now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept? He is risen indeed. The God of the Scriptures, the God of truth, has revealed to us in His Word and by His Spirit that He is. We read His Word and we know it is true. The empty tomb proves it as we saw last week. The empty tomb proves His resurrection. The appearance of angelic beings who saw the risen Christ and then reported that He is risen and not dead. As He said, those angels prove and declare that message. For 40 days after His resurrection, Jesus appeared time and time again to His disciples, to those who didn't believe He would rise. He appeared to them and showed them that He was risen again indeed, as He said. And now we know the fact of His resurrection. He lives, we say. He lives. You ask me how I know He lives? He lives within my heart. And those who confess with their mouth this Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that He, God, hath raised Him from the dead, only these shall be saved. Lord's Day 17 leads us to consider this resurrection of Jesus Christ absolutely necessary. But notice now with me that Lord's Day 17 makes the assumption, it makes the assumption that we believe in the resurrection. It doesn't talk about the fact of the resurrection. It doesn't explain the resurrection itself and, and prove the resurrection from Scripture. It has one question and answer that talks about the benefits of the resurrection. And what the Catechism does by assuming that we already know the resurrection is saying this is so basic to Christianity that 
an explanation isn't necessary here. You already know this. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer confessing this, you already know this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, this is a fact obvious to every believer. And it moves then right away to the benefits of the resurrection to celebrate it. To help us worship God and the risen Christ. For what He gives to us as a result of His resurrection. In God's providence, only last Sunday we focused on the historical fact already. We heard the proclamation of that gospel of the empty tomb, seeing where He did lay and how Jesus did rise from the dead, as He said. On that day we called Easter, we consider the fact of the resurrection. Now very appropriately on this Sunday, this first day of the week, we focus on the benefits. The truth of the resurrection, I remind you, is not only a truth to be considered on a day called Easter, but I remind you that every Sunday, every first day of the week, we come to God's house and we celebrate the risen Savior. Consider with me the prophet of Christ's resurrection, first for our justification, second for new life, and then thirdly for resurrection hope. For our justification, for new life, and for resurrection hope. We consider the three benefits in that order and the three points this morning, and we use those passages from Romans 4, 6, and 8 to help us in our understanding of it. The first benefit of Christ's resurrection that we praise God for is justification. Paul puts it succinctly at the end of Romans 4.25, notice with me, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. He was raised again for our justification. That's the benefit of Christ's resurrection. The Catechism explains that benefit in similar language. By His resurrection, He has overcome death that He might make us partakers of that righteousness or justification which He had purchased for us by His death. And so the task this morning is to understand how the resurrection benefits us with justification. Those two concepts... Resurrection and, and justification are not frequently, as frequently and often as it should, related to each other in the minds of the believer today. Often when we think about justification, we think about the death of Jesus Christ rather than His resurrection. And so focusing on the death and how the death of Christ gains us justification. We, we sometimes don't think about how the resurrection profits us with justification. In order, in order to help us get rid of confusion and help us focus on how resurrection leads to justification, let us first of all explain this morning, understand negatively what the catechism and and in Romans 4.25, do not mean when it speaks of resurrection for our justification. It is not true that Christ's resurrection 
earns for us justification or righteousness before God. It is not true that Christ's resurrection earns for us this justification. What earns for us the righteousness or justification before God's tribunal? What earns for us this righteous standing before God now and on judgment day for all of His elect people? Well, it's the perfect life and death of Jesus Christ before His resurrection. It's His lifelong suffering as we have recently considered in the catechism. It's His hellish agony. It's everything up through His death that earned for us this justification or righteousness. In fact, we should say, with His death, He finished earning it. He didn't need the resurrection to earn it. With His death, He finished it. That's clear from the words of the cross. When He was done suffering the agonies of hell on the accursed cross, He declared those words that we repeat again and again in our sermons because they're such important words. It is finished. And with those words He made clear, I have finished earning. I have finished meriting all righteousness for My people. There's nothing else that I must do to earn it, to purchase this righteousness, He was saying. I'm done. It's completed with this death. That's not to minimize resurrection and how that relates to justification. We'll get to that in a moment. That's the main point. But that's to emphasize this morning how important Christ's suffering and death was. Crucifixion earned justification. Resurrection doesn't earn it. Crucifixion purchased justification. Resurrection does not. Catechism makes that clear when it says at the end of that phrase of the first benefit, which He had, referring to that righteousness, which He had purchased for us by His death. He finished purchasing it at His death. So then we ask now, how then does resurrection relate to this justification or righteousness. In simple terms, it's the proof of purchase. It's the proof of purchase. That which Christ had already finished and completed at the cross, He now proves He had completed by His resurrection. And to give a, a weak but simple illustration immediately to help you think about this, think about, think about a receipt. We call a receipt a proof of purchase. Christ's resurrection is not identical to a receipt, but it acts like a receipt. Far more valuable, of course, than a piece of paper, but a receipt that proves that you've purchased something. It's not very valuable to you that flimsy little piece of paper sometimes, or that document that gets printed out, but if you have just bought something valuable, you want to keep that receipt, don't you? You want to preserve that copy of the receipt or make sure it's preserved electronically so that you can take advantage of a warranty if it breaks, or you can return the item if you think it's not something you wanted in the first place. And then it becomes more valuable. Well, 
Christ's resurrection is far more valuable than that. But it acts like such a receipt, a proof of purchase. And on that receipt, you can think of how there is what has been purchased. You can think about the price. The large amount that you had to pay. And then to whom you pay. And then that it is paid fully. That's the receipt. At the crucifixion, there was full payment. At the crucifixion, you didn't pay anything. Christ paid it. He paid it all. He paid for your righteous standing before God and all the blessings of salvation. He paid the exorbitant price of His precious blood. But for the proof of purchase, for it to be declared to you, he indeed had paid it. Christ brought forth the resurrection. God brought forth that resurrection and shows it to you this morning. Think of that receipt. Think of a receipt. What needs to be paid for? What is it that we need desperately more than anything else? Justification. The righteous standing before God. That's what needs to be purchased. What's the price was the exorbitant price, the perfect life of obedience to God's law and His precious blood shed in the suffering of hell for sin. Done. Paid for, that receipt says. And that receipt Jesus doesn't keep to Himself, but He shows to you, He declares to you this morning, you're righteous. You're justified. Crucifixion. My death purchased that righteousness. And my resurrection is a proof of that purchase. That's what Romans 4.25 means when it says, who was delivered for our offenses, raised again for our justification. Delivered, the word delivered is a legal word. It's a legal payment. You deliver over money. You deliver over the payment. He was delivered in His death. He delivered Himself, really, in His death to pay for our sins. And after He did that, it was done. There was no more sins to remove. All the sins that were on His account had been taken away because He had suffered for all of them. He was not guilty. He was perfectly righteous having suffered for our sins that were laid upon Him. He was delivered for our offenses. And because He had earned all righteousness, He was raised, Romans says, to show, to prove that justification. If he had remained dead in the ground, remember children, how absolutely necessary the resurrection is. If he had remained in the ground, it would have proven that Christ had not purchased righteousness. If he had remained dead, then Christ remaining in the, dead, in the grave would have proven 
that the cross was ineffective. It would have proven one of these two things specifically. It would have proven that either he had failed while trying to take away all of our sins and gain righteousness for us. He had, he had taken the load of sin upon himself, all our guilt, and he had tried to suffer, but he didn't quite suffer enough, and therefore he had to remain dead. Or it would have proven he was a sinner himself who had to pay for his own sins, not only in death, but in hell. But Christ arose to prove the opposite of that. And he was no sinner, no personal sin of his own. And all the guilt, all the sins of all of his elect people, he had indeed finished suffering for and earned all righteousness. That is now partly what Romans 4.25 means. I say partly. Partly because if I stop here and talking about the resurrection as it relates to justification, then it's incomplete. I'm incomplete in my explanation. The resurrection, I said, is objective proof, like a proof of purchase, a receipt of what Christ had already completed, but more. The resurrection benefit, as the catechism is explaining it here, is that it is also for our subjective, personal justification. And I mean by that, Christ had to rise in order to work in each individual soul of His people the knowledge and the assurance of our righteous standing before God. It wouldn't do, you see, for Christ to simply die for our sins and rise again and remain in heaven while we here on this earth didn't know about our righteousness, didn't know about our justification before God. To have it but not know it would be to leave us in our misery. And so what the Catechism is explaining and what Romans 4.25 includes when it says He was risen or raised for our justification, is that Christ had to rise in order to work in each of His people that knowledge of our righteousness before God. Notice the Catechism. That He might make us partakers of that righteousness. If Christ had remained dead, if He did not rise, then he would not have been able to join our hearts to His by the living bond of faith. And He would not have been able by His Spirit, the Spirit of the risen Christ, to work in us that knowledge of faith and that assurance of faith to know that we are righteous before God. But you see, Christ rose to make us partakers of it. He rose to display that to us. He rose to join us to Himself and to speak to us today too 
on this Lord's Day, the risen Lord speaks to remind you and to assure you that though you are a sinner and all you face that sin this week and it makes you feel guilty before God and you're ashamed of your sin. Your sins are so gross, not only the ones that others see, but the ones in your heart. They're so gross that you cannot, you know, you cannot be righteous in God's sight of yourself. But the Lord Jesus, the risen Lord now, says to you, because He is risen and is able to, look at this receipt on this Lord's day. Look at the proof of purchase. Look at my resurrection and know with certainty in your hearts by faith, which I give to you, you're righteous. You're righteous. Not because you are righteous of yourself, but because of my finished work on the cross, proven by my resurrection. What a benefit, beloved. A wondrous benefit of the resurrection for our justification. Prove the payment of that righteousness. And then being raised from the dead to unite you to Himself. To make you a conscious partaker of that righteousness by faith. The second great benefit of Christ's resurrection is new life. New life. Not only for our justification, but also for... Our sanctification, simply. Christ rose. He was raised for our sanctification, we can say. The Catechism put it, secondly, we are also by His power raised up to a new life. When the Catechism speaks of a new life that the risen Christ raises us up to, it is speaking of a new life now, today, present tense, while you're living here on this earth, it's a simple point, but necessary. Yes, Christ's resurrection also benefits us with a new life in the future, in heaven, but that's the third benefit we'll get to in the third point. The second benefit is that Christ's resurrection profits us with new life now, today. In fact, there's, a, there's an important word significantly missing in our English translation of the Catechism. It's the word now or already. Both the German and Latin original versions of the Catechism here in Lord's Day 17 include that word, not in the English language. Secondly, we are now by His power raised up to a new life. Or we are already by His power raised up to a new life. Did you hear that? Dear sinner saved by grace. Did you hear that word now? You who have an, a tendency to antinomian theology. Did you hear that word already today? That this benefit comes to us from the risen Christ? So that if you are truly justified by faith, then by that same faith in the risen Christ, you will be living a sanctified, you are living 
now a sanctified new and godly life. Not, well, maybe tomorrow I'll begin living a new and godly life. Maybe next week I'll give up that sinful addiction. No, it'll happen if it happens. I'll just wait until I get to heaven. But the point of the Lord's Day and the second benefit is that today, now, those who believe in this risen Jesus Christ, who know with assurance their justification, will live. They do live a new and godly life. That's the benefit. The Apostle Paul in Romans 6 that we read, which the Catechism is basing its explanation squarely on, the Apostle Paul in Romans 6 writes against antinomianism, which in some way, in a variety of ways, denies this truth of the benefit of the resurrection, a new and godly life. There was an antinomian sentiment that said, shall we, verse 1, continue in sin that grace may abound? And we can describe two categories of people who are saying that. Some, some actually felt that, that, that as believers in Jesus Christ, they were permitted to live however they want. Let us live in sin that grace may abound. But there's another group of people, a category of people that didn't actually believe in Jesus Christ, but they pointed at true believers and said, see, your theology means... You may sin, live in sin that grace may abound. So there was a life of promiscuity that claimed they could live in sin that may abound. There was a life of accusation against the Reformed and the true believer. Notice how Paul answers such responses to the truth. Verse 2. God forbid. Literally, may it never be. And before I relate it to, to resurrection in a moment, notice Paul, Paul, Paul doesn't respond this way. Guilty is charged. The truth will always draw that charge. He doesn't respond that way. You don't find that response in Scripture. But Paul buckles down. And he says, God forbid. May it never be. Let that never be said about the Gospel. The Gospel of Jesus Christ will not have that effect. Don't you dare ever make it, make it have that effect. And say that it has that effect. God forbid. Now is it true? It is true. That the Reformed who believe in justification by faith alone, salvation, all of grace, unconditionally given to His people, it is true that the charge will come. You're antinomian. It has always come. But that's not the response, you see, when we are charged with it. The response is, God forbid, may it never be. No, no, no. The Reformed person who truly believes in free justification, unconditional salvation, will not respond that way. So what's the explanation then? Positively. 
that a Reformed believer in the truth of justification by faith alone and salvation unconditionally given. What is the explanation that we will live a godly life? Not if you do more, you get more. Not because in some sense the assurance of justification is by works. But this. Because of the risen Christ. It is the inevitable benefit of the risen Christ. If He lives, you will live also. He will work in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Romans 6, that we have here, especially verse 4b, the second part of 4, is what the catechism is basing its explanation on. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk or should walk in newness of life. By this, Paul means, and here's a picture. You see, you see Christ, you see Christ in the scriptures and how he he died. When he died, his body could no longer move. When he died, his body could no longer do anything good. When he died, he was passive. But then he rose. When he rose, his body began to move again. When he rose, his body supernaturally left those grave clothes, exited the tomb, and performed all sorts of mighty, wonderful works. When he rose, his body became active. Don't forget that. Policy. In Christ, you who are joined to Him by faith, You'll, you'll live like Him. He will make sure it happens. He will not be passive like a dead man doing nothing. But you will live. He will work in you to live. Not as a robot. Not as a stock in a block or a piece of wood. But He'll make you want to. And with your body and soul, you will live a life of gratitude. The canons use the word regeneration. The canons had 3 and 4, article 12, speaks of regeneration which is highly celebrated, not, not minimized and ignored. A regeneration is highly celebrated in the Scripture. Quote, supernatural, powerful, delightful, astonishing, mysterious, not inferior in efficacy to resurrection from the dead. So that as Christ was raised from the dead, so you, not, not tomorrow or in heaven, you already now are raised from the dead by resurrection power. Now without Christ risen from the dead, then you won't live. You won't live. You can't live a godly life. But with Christ risen from the dead, this is the inevitable benefit. And knowing that, 
Paul then says in verse 13, neither, it's a command, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. If you're truly in Christ, in the living Christ, then the exhortation is, live as such. The exhortation is not, notice, let go and let God. The exhortation is not, very practically speaking now, many think this way, the exhortation is not, once Christ makes me feel like doing what is right, then I will do what is right. Once, once, he, once He makes it easy for me to do what is right, then I'm going to do what is right. That's utter folly. That's not biblical. That's a deception of the devil. If, only, if men only did what was right and fought against their sin when they felt like it and when God made it easy, none of us would. But the risen Christ benefits us in such a way that when He works new life in us, He calls us at the same time as He calls you this morning. Don't yield. You may not give up even though the feelings are contrary to God's Word. Even though it is difficult, yield not positively. Fight against your sinful feelings. Discipline yourself. Choose to do what is right even though Everyone else is doing what is wrong. Don't let your eyes look at what you want, what you desire on that screen. Don't let your fingers touch even though you feel like touching. Don't let your mouth take another rude word. Don't let your mouth drink it in as you might want to. But put on. Discipline yourself unto godliness, unto the reading of His Word in prayer. Replace the ungodly entertainment with godly activities of the child of God. Replace the music of the world with the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Love your wife. Do something nice for her once. Every day. Show mercy to the poor. Visit the elderly. Reconcile. Go to that brother. To stop living in bitterness toward Him. Engage in the work of evangelism. And I could go on and on, but with the benefit of the resurrection, a new and godly life, there does not come to us, well, it'll just happen. But there comes to us a calling with which the risen Christ actually works to change you and make you willing and ready to live unto Him. Remember, not tomorrow. But now, today, 
The third benefit of the resurrection is resurrection hope. Lastly, the catechism says the resurrection of Christ is a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. After paying for our righteousness on the cross, finished paying for it, Christ receives all the blessings of salvation Himself. And whatever Christ receives, we receive too. That's the wonder of salvation. Everything that Christ earned and receives, we also receive as members of His body. And the word pledge is an important word. The catechism says pledge. Resurrection is a pledge, a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. The word pledge includes the idea of promise. God promises that He will raise our bodies. He promises, and because God is the God who cannot lie, His promises will be fulfilled. He will make sure they come to pass. He will raise us, soul and body, one day. But the word pledge does not only mean promise. It includes promise. But the word pledge is more than a promise. The word pledge includes an action that symbolizes and guarantees the promise. That's a pledge. We don't do this in our circles often, but I grew up in a Baptist school, and every morning in the Baptist school, in grade school, we would stand up and over the intercom, there would be a leading of the Pledge of Allegiance. And we all had to take our hands and put it across our heart and look at the flag and pledge allegiance and promise our loyalty in service of the country. The resurrection is a pledge. And it's not our pledge to anyone or even to God. The resurrection is God's pledge to us, as it were, that He laid His hand across His heart, and He did a work to symbolize and to guarantee the promise that He makes in loyalty to us, though we don't deserve it. Look at my son. See him there, dead in the tomb. Separated soul and body. Whipped, pierced, bloody, buried. Unable to move. Now look, don't take your eyes off of him. Here's my pledge. See that soul and body reunited. See, that body raised the same body, but now a supernatural body. You see, that body passed through the grave clothes. See, that body exit the tomb. See, that body ascend up into heaven. See, that body inherit all things in glory. See, that body rule. See, that body powerful without any, any weakness. Shining like the sun, standing before the face of God. That is a pledge from God. The same will be for you 
who believe in this risen Savior, this same body, which for many of you right now is feeling weak, growing older, plagued not only by afflictions of physical body, but you feel sins, the consequences of sins. This body with handicaps as well, in a wheelchair, with cerebral palsy, with paralysis, with blindness, with cancer, with Down syndrome. This body with mental difficulties, the mind slowing down. This body with physical pains, with scars, emotional wounds even because of abuse, because of church splits, because of broken relationships. This body and its soul, one day, will be raised incorruptible, undefiled, a glorious body. We will run and not be weary. We will walk and not faint. We will work in perfect service and ability to eat and drink also at the supper of the Lamb with no possibility of disease, with no possibility of death, with no sorrow, with no shaking limbs, with no anxious thoughts, with clear sight, not only with our soul, but clear sight with our physical eyes to see God in the face of Jesus Christ and enjoy the new heavens and the new earth. That's what Christ has with His resurrected body. And that is a pledge to you as well. Romans 8, 11. If the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. You knew that, didn't you? That it was the Holy Spirit that quickened Jesus' body from the dead. The Holy Spirit. That's not in contradiction to the fact that the Father raised Jesus and the Son raised His own body. But Father and Son raised the body of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, Paul says in Romans. The same exact Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in you. Is in your body right now and in your soul. And the promise is, you who have this Holy Spirit will be raised by that same Holy Spirit both soul and body. Your mortal body shall be quickened, Paul says, by the Spirit. Impossible, the world says. Impossible. Well, you know how impossible it is, isn't it? For your totally depraved, dead soul, sinful, to come to life and serve God now, 
to actually believe in this risen Christ and live for Him? You know the deadness, the grossness of your old man that you were in bondage to. And He has already quickened you by that Holy Spirit. If He has taken this chief sinner, this dead and dying soul, and already raised it to new life, that's enough evidence, isn't it? That by the same Spirit that has quickened Jesus Christ and the same Spirit that has already quickened you, He will raise your body too one day to be like unto Christ's glorious body. What a Savior we have. What a glorious benefits of this risen Christ He bestows on us. Justification. Sanctification. And the hope of glorification one day. May God's people truly see the necessity, the absolute necessity of the resurrection. And then glorify our crucified and risen Savior for all the gracious benefits He bestows on us. Amen. Let's pray. O living God, God of life, we thank Thee for the Gospel, the crucified and risen Savior Jesus Christ, and on this Lord's Day too, as we look around us and see life springing forth from that which seemed to be dead, and even in the creation, we praise Thee for that symbol too, the resurrection of the dead, of the giving unto us of new life, even now already, and the promise of resurrection life in glory, all because of the risen Savior. We thank Thee for Him who has risen with healing in His wings for our justification and our sanctification and our glorification. We pray, give us faith and strengthen that faith even with Thy Word and by Thy Spirit this morning. And stir us up unto a new and godly life of thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at Hope rwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hopeprchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.